Welcome to another episode of Finesse Media Podcast, Season 2, with your host, Ken Finesse Media, and co-host, Treat a Millionaire. As the hosts gather their show notes and stage the studio for their next guest, sit back, sit back, turn up your volume, and get ready for something brand new. Definitely been a crazy week, man. Uh, lots of things been happening in the news. This coronavirus, man, ain't nobody going to work. Man, that coronavirus <laughs> crazy, ain't it? Man, shit is happening all around the world. Um, business is not moving. Um, you know, it's just crazy as hell, man. Let me tell you, the coronavirus got everything being canceled. Coachella, South by Southwest. I seen an article that said Google told all its employees work from home, work yep. from home. People, people's jobs is straight up saying don't you know don't even worry about coming in, just do that work from home. And all yep, those I jobs that. that was against working from home is looking mighty fine to you motherfuckers now, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> I see that. I said, man. Uh, I had posted the status. I'm like the coronavirus is canceling everything, but these damn student loans. <laughs> like everything is being canceled, but a student loan. That's that's, that's just ridiculous. Cancel these student loans, man. Uh shout please? out to uh <laughs> all of my people out there with student loans, man. And each and every week, man, on Finesse Media, speaking of student loans, we talk about HBCUs, man. So we pride ourselves of being alumni uh from the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, myself and co host uh Trees Millionaire. We are alumni of the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, so we shout out out our HBCUs each and every week. If you want your HBCU to be spotlighted on Finesse Media, hit us up, finessemediapodcast at gmail.com. We certainly want to spotlight your university and bring you on to accompany your university. So we want to spotlight it and uh, bring about all the things that your university is doing. And also make sure you check us out at Finesse Media on all of our platforms, man. So Twitter... Um, what, what else we got? Facebook <laughs> and Instagram, man. Check us out on all things uh, Finesse Media. We'll love to uh, know how we're doing. And we always got good guests each and every episode, man. So this episode is no other half from any other episode before. And, and again, we got guests coming up, but my homeboy from Chicago, man. Can't wait to talk to Damon Williams, man. We we love to shout out and, and give, again, spotlight to people who are finessing in the game. So Finesse Media Podcast is designed to spotlight those people that's doing their damn thing, man. So uh, just like myself and Treese, man, we're doing everything we can to uh, do our things individually, but also spotlight the folks that we got. I will say, man, without further ado, we definitely going to take a quick uh, a quick little break and give it to our sponsors, uh, Latrice Murray Reviews. This episode is was sponsored by Latrice Murray Reviews. And when we come back, we're going to have our special guest of this episode, man. We'll see you in a minute. 
Thank you for listening to Finesse Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Latrice Murray Views. Quality photography that won't break the bank. Contact Latrice Murray Views Photography today at lmviewsphoto at gmail.com to book your photo shoot today. What's up? We back. Another episode of Finesse Media Podcast. Season 2, man. I'm your host, Ken Finesse Media. I got my co-host, Teresa Millionaire. Teresa, what's going on, man? We are in man, the building with another... <laughs> man, we are in the building with another episode, man. And uh, this week, man, on the Finesse Media Podcast, we got one of our great friends, one of my good friends uh, from Chicago, Illinois, man. Um Certainly an extraordinary person. And uh, Therese definitely wants to bring the bio to introduce our listeners, uh, who the guest is before we have our guest on. Therese, man, let the people know who got who we got coming on this episode. Today we have Mr. Damon Williams. Now, with over 25 years in the industry, Damon Williams is a former Subway sandwich shop owner from Chicago, Illinois, who began his comedy career at All Jokes Aside Comedy Club. Damon's previous television appearances include BET's Comic View, dating back to 1994, including his own one-hour special. He's been featured on BET Live, Comedy Central's Premium Blend, The Tom Joyner Warner Show, uh, Sky Show, on TV One, and HBO's P. Diddy's Bad Boys of Comedy. The funny man from Chicago even hosted several episodes of the legendary Showtime at the Apollo. Following season host and TV star Steve Harvey, in 1999, Damon performed for over 300,000 fans as the opening act for the highly successful Kings of Comedy Tour, establishing him as one of the elite comics in the nation. Internationally, Damon is a fan favorite in the Cayman Islands and has made regular appearances in Canada with stops in Vancouver, Montreal, Edmonton, and Edmonton. Excuse me. Damon has even been featured on the Real Deal Comedy Jam, which airs in the UK. Monthly comedy shows for the House of Blues came were the results of one appearance on the Jenny Jones Show. He was contracted to write, perform, and produce over 50 episodes his material is universal and there's something for all ages his popularity has provided him the opportunity to work with some of the biggest stars in the business such as aretha franklin patty labelle belafonte chris rock james brown jamie fox little richard and even former President Barack Obama, where he served as a host for a campaign brunch. Now, y'all know he's big time, don't you? You've also seen Damon recently on tours and shows such as a host of HBO's Martha's Vineyard Comedy Fest, the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, the Cedric the Entertainer uh, Review, excuse me, HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam, Martin Lawrence's First Amendment, Comics Unleashed, Black Pack Comedy Tour, Laughing on the Outside, Crying on the Inside, Most Funny Bone, and Improv Comedy Clubs Nationwide, and maintains his monthly showcases in Chicago for Funny First Mondays. He's caught the acting bug 
with starring roles in films Not Another Black Movie, Lead in Heaven on Seven, and also an appearance appearance on Black, uh, excuse me, on Bounce TV sitcom Grown Folks. Damon is keeping Chicago on the map as co-owner of Riddle's Comedy Club, where he's providing a stage for new and veteran comedic talent. With his life motto of don't stop and don't quit, Damon previously held the funny chair seat as co-host on the legendary national, nationally syndicated Tom Joyner morning, morning show and is seen consistently on Chicago's number one day talk show, Windy City Live. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Damon Williams. Hello. Make some noise for my brother from Chicago. I think we couldn't even give any of a better introduction than that. So welcome to the show, Damon Williams. What's up, going? What's up, bro? What's happening? Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I'm such a fan. Uh my co-host Teresa Million, they gave our listeners a, a real deep in-depth bio uh, on you, Mr. Williams, and, and all the things that you've done. Um, but I'll tell you, man, I'm definitely a fan. I've always been a fan. I had the pleasure of meeting you a couple of times back being in Chicago um, over at uh, Jokes and Notes, uh, over there uh, doing things with uh, Mary Lindsay, uh, done some work with yeah, her, man. man so. mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what's going on, man? You're holding it down at Riddles? Yeah, that's a project I took on about two years ago uh, because it was the club was fledgling, as you would say, and it was, it was really a, a mainstream, you know, that's the code word for white people, uh, club, and it was dying, you know. So the owner was like, man, I'm, he was having health issues. He didn't feel like running it and turning it around, so he uh, partnered with me to, you know, come in and take over promoting and booking and things of that nature. So it's it's, um, it's thriving, and it's uh, right in Alsa. South suburb of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I've had a chance to uh, uh, be out there at Riddles. Uh, Rashida Buff Bay. Yeah, it's one of my, one of my Capricorn sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The twins, man. The Capricorn sisters. They're always doing that thing. They uh-huh. actually got a podcast going. Uh, but Damon, man, we definitely want to bring yeah, our show. Uh, is designed to really spotlight people that's finessing hey, in their game. And, again, and run it back really quick for us. Your microphone had cut out. Oh, go oh, ahead and you know how back is. it back up for us. Oh, people on the show yeah, who are, that's finessing the game. And so, you know, what? having you on this platform is, is really what we want to do and spotlight the things that you're doing. We're having a few well, complications. You know how te- technology does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I got most of what you were saying. And, um, you know, I appreciate the, the shine and uh, the opportunity. You know, anytime someone has a podcast, that's a, you know, entrepreneurial venture and it's a leap of faith. You want to get out there and get yourself going. And you never know where it takes you. So I'm always willing to uh, be a part of podcasts if you got one listener or a million listeners. So I know this, uh, that you guys have a substantial listenership. So thank you for having us. Oh, we love to have you, and we appreciate you taking the time out to come and speak on our platform. I know when you're in your you know, I'm sure that schedule is very hectic. 
So for fitting us in, we really, really appreciate it. Now, well, thank you. When was the comedian born? Like, was it were you always telling jokes as a kid growing up, or did you kind of evolve into that later? How did you become a comedian? Yeah, it was definitely later in life. Um, as a kid, I was pretty much the quiet one. I was the middle child at home, and you know, I stayed in my lane and mind my business. But uh, in the early '80s, you know, Eddie Murphy kind of sparked an awakening for me to see because you know we all grew up listening to comedy with people like Richard Pryor and Red Fox when your parents and stuff like that but to right. see it you know Eddie Murphy burst on the scene with that uh, delirious video and that's basically when videos had just started popping and I was like man that's a great job right there not to mention I had always loved comedy but you know to actually go into it it wasn't until Deaf Comedy Jam came around and provided opportunities around the country for people to have a place to go and try comedy because you might have been funny and you might have wanted to do it but you know you look around the city there was no place for black comedians and if it was it was a hole in the wall or a bar and grill or whatever so once Def Jam came on the set you know everybody started trying to do comedy nights or comedy weekends or becoming comedy clubs so that gave people who wanted to try it a place to do it without having to you know change who you are alter your game or code speak because you're doing it in a white room for the white people, you know, it was our audiences, our uh, culture, our, you know, stories and experiences, and that made it a lot easier for me to transition. Absolutely. Now, was that that uh, stand-up, Delirious, was that the one when he was in the red leather or the purple leather? That's the red leather, the first The one. red leather outfit, yeah, that was funny as shit. <laughs> yeah, he And I definitely so had classic. to sneak to watch it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of classic bits in that, you know, from... The uh, ice cream man, all the way down to the the impressions of all the people he did, and you know just the Goonie Google, all the stuff. That that special is, is one of the top specials in all time. Period. So, what was high school like for you? Were you a class Short. clown, or <laughs> were you quiet? Where did you start developing into that comedian back in high school? Like, what was high school like? Well, like I said, high school was short because after my third year, uh, the first half of my third year, I actually dropped out of high school. Um, but I was I was never like the center of attention or class clown type. You know, I'm out of my business. I had some comebacks if somebody ever came for me in the lunchroom. But as far as, you know, being that dude who was trying to be the, the funny man, that really never uh, came about until later in life when I actually had a job. And, you know, like I said, um, people were in tune with comedy. Um, so, you know, 48 Hours was out and then Saturday Night Live and all that. Eddie Murphy was a real big uh, impression on me, a big inspiration for me. Uh, beyond Before that, though, there was always people used to watch The Tonight Show, you know, and watch whatever comedian was on that, make sure I get a chance to stay up and watch, especially if it was a black one. Back then, the only black comedians that really got on the air was like Bill Cosby or Jimmy Walker, uh, a guy named Franklin Ajay, who is underrated, but, but is a, a master um, and he was just in a movie recently, so I was really glad to see his face and stuff, and I forgot what it was, uh, but he played a father. But Franklin Ajay, he was a radical like comic in the 70s, and he talked about, you know, struggling black issues and things of that nature. He was way ahead of his time. Okay. Now, I have to ask you, <laughs> aside from yourself, who are your top three um, older comedians, and who are your top three newer comedians that are out? I gotta know. All right, that's easy. 
top three older comedians are Andy Murphy, Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby. Uh, Red Fox should be in that list. Um, in fact, he should be in front of Bill Cosby, but Bill Cosby has so much more notoriety and so many more successes. Uh, yeah. But but Richard, I mean Red Fox, he kind of revolutionized the game. Uh, he had party records and he did over fifty comedy albums. Uh huh. It's impressive. What... Then he got a sitcom, and he was able to put his people on. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Red in front of Bill. Matter of fact, so those yeah. are my top three older ones. The young, okay. the young game is is, is kind of wide open too. Um, right now, I like um, Chappelle, Chris Rock. Those are my two. And then, um, you know, and I know they're not young, but they're younger. Um, right. And then, if you want to go go, you know, a little deeper into the the up and comings right now, I mean, I got to throw um, just because what he's doing. Matter of fact, skip that. I'll say Chris Rock, um, Dave Chappelle, and some more. Because Samore is an independent artist who does her own thing. She creates her own specials. She's a woman in the game. She has a strong voice. She's consistent. She has uh, uh, tours every year, and she won the baddest around. You know, so I give her her, her kudos for that. There's a lot of other honorable people. You know, it's a lot of people whose uh, work I enjoy. Earthquake is hilarious. He's, I love his, his thought process with his jokes. Uh, you got Tony Roberts, you got George Wilborn, you got Deion Cole, who's out here, D. Ray Davis, all my Chicago people, you know. But those three, as far as you know, making specials, and I didn't purposely omit Kevin Hart because he's done, he's taken the game to a, a whole other level. Um, but you know, in recent times, his stand-up has not been as, as you know up to par as his acting in the films, and that, and I understand it. His first couple of specials were really fire, and I'm not saying his most recent ones were not, but it was like, you know, he he's evolved and taken the game to a whole other level. So it's understandable that he doesn't have basically the same day that you and I have. So for him to have a conversation or, or jokes about, you know, going to the grocery store, somebody hitting your car with a shopping cart or blah, 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 he ain't living that life like that on the regular. So, you know, it's always, I hate to do lists, but the people I want to give props to, the people that make me laugh, um, are those that I mentioned. I like Wanda Sykes. Uh, she's hilarious. I like Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, her thought processes are amazing. There's a white guy named Bill Burr who's a beast. You know, so it's just a whole lot of funny, funny people out there. Absolutely. Now it's funny. And then if you want to go, if you want to go New Jacks, okay, because we went younger. Now I'm gonna go New Jacks. Okay. My girl's from Chicago, Just Niche. Uh, I give props to DC Young Fly for what he's doing. And um, uh, it's a young lady out of Chicago named Corey Bell. These are up and coming people. Uh, of course, DC is already out there doing his thing. But for him to come from the, the Vines and, and then Instagram to become an actual stand up comic, he's doing a great job with that. Uh, Ryan Absolutely. Davis, on stage. It's a bunch of people out there. A bunch of them. It's funny you say, so going back to Red Fox, I remember my grandmother used to have some of his records. And yep. it was just like an ultimate no-no to listen to him. But her and her friends would be downstairs listening to his record, cracking up, and I'd just sneak in and get behind the stairs and be listening. He, yep. he had tons of hilarious records. Tons and of records. Tons, tons. And that was a, you know, that was a thing for them back then. They would get the new Red Fox record, put it on, sit down there, hang out, have a beverage, 
and it was a yep. good time. Now, Definitely. when it goes to um, some more, she's hilarious. I seen her, and it's funny you said DC Young Fly. They had a comedy show here, and it was DC Young Fly. Um, I don't know if it was Earthquake. I don't remember if he was on there, but I know DC Young Fly opened up. Some more was like the host, and then it was Mike Epps. And yeah. one thing I can say, DC Young Fly, he worked the whole stage. Like he was so energetic. He moved around like he didn't just kind of just stand there and tell jokes, you know, and stay just in that small little square. He moved from side yeah, to side. Yeah, he's very animated. Yes, he's extremely animated. So to be that young and like you said, coming from the Vine videos and Instagram and then going into just doing stand up, that's that's amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah, and he, he not only did that, he respects the art form and he respects his uh his elders in the game. Like like he will defer and, and you know, and, and, and even though he has the numbers on the social media, he understands that his pecking order on a show in particular was one incident where I guess his flight was running late and I didn't know that was the case, but I was like, you know, just on seniority I don't think I should go up before DCM fly, you know, just out of respect on my on my veteran status. And right. um, they said, no, it wasn't based on, you know, uh, notoriety or whatever. We just, his, his flight was late. But when he heard about it, the first thing he said is, no, nah, man, you the OG. And, you know, you know way I'm supposed to go after you, blah, blah, blah. Very humble, very respectful. And that, that I have as much respect for him for that as I do is his hustle and his grind and his uh, ability to transition into this live stage. Because a lot of these cats, you know, and females, you know, they, they out here and then they, they you know, they, they get the notoriety and then they uh, get booked. But, you know, you're on stage with, you know, three or four veterans, like a show like that. I mean, many times you'll get booked and you'll have a Mike Epps, you know, Earthquake, Bruce Bruce, Arnez J., uh, D-Ray, you know, and, and D.C. Young Fly. And they might be like, well, he got the most fans out here, blah, 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 but he don't want to follow all that heat. You know what I'm saying? That that's that's a tricky situation. So, but yes, he has, like I said, mastered that. Um, now there are some other comedians out there who are learning their way, and and some of them have taken the smart route of hosting an event and bringing other comics with them because they are social media phenoms and they are you know learning the craft. Because you know if you're a headliner and you got to stand there for 45 minutes at the end of the show and you are supposed to be the highlight of the night, it's a lot of pressure. And if you don't have the preps and the chops for it, you're gonna fail two times. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Now, have you ever had like a oh my god moment on stage? Like, oh shit, I'm never gonna do that again. <laughs> have you ever had one of those? Uh, well, shit, I had a, a dude rush and try to fight me on stage before, and I didn't do it, but I don't want to do it again. Um, he was just high as mine. That was a guy from Gary, Indiana. That was a crazy uh, scenario. I had a situation oh, shit. where Gary um, in there where Michael from Gary. Yeah, Indiana. Gary, 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 about it, about it. Yeah, um, they not playing. <laughs> but I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of good peeps out in GI. But he uh, happened to be at a club, and I don't know. He was just high. It was no, uh, you know, confrontation or no verbal uh, intro to the situation. It was almost like somebody might have dared him because the show started. They introduced me. And he just came up on stage trying to get at me. So we tussled, went through the drywall. Uh, what? Wait a, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on, because you slid that in too smooth. So he came on stage, and then y'all yeah. actually got to tussling, and you just threw, the you just threw him through the drywall? 
Yeah, I saw some aggression as he was coming toward me. So as he kind of tried to rush me, I gave him an ole, goddammit. Um, I hit him with the bullfighter move and swept his ass through the wall. Are you okay? True story. <laughs> yeah, that hole stayed in the wall for a long time, so we had to joke about that hole for months after that. Damn. What did you do to that man? You, his, his wife or girlfriend probably was back there. Can I have your was happening. I was shining. Yeah, I was shining too hard at the time. Yeah, you know they don't area. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And and then I, you know, people take me. You know, they don't know my background. They they think you know because I used to wear suits a lot. And, you know, they thought I was corny and they didn't know that I was from you know the Woodline area of Chicago and came up these streets and then did some things. So you're not gonna rush me. And I told, I said, you come up there, it's gonna be a problem. And he came. And you know, I, first I was gonna hit him with the mic, but he came too quick. So I I just took his momentum. We tussled into the wall, and then security came and my brother. And everybody was in there. He got stumped out. He lost his chain. It was crazy. <laughs> Not he got comedy out and he lost his chain. Yeah, he got oh, stopped. We had a video night. of it. So, so, so we had a video Wait a minute. You got a video of it. Y'all yeah, been playing that family reunion. Put it up on the big screen real quick <laughs> on the projector. Y'all remember when Damon right. whooped that nigga ass? <laughs> so, and my brother, you know, my brother, he's 6'4 and he wear like a size 14 and he had on Tim's. So I, I know I saw him get about six good stumps. Um, before the security came and got dude, because like my, some of the comedians, my man just a few guys had ran up on the stage already before security even saw what was happening. So it was a bad choice on his part. Damn. And then he was like, "I dropped my chain. That's a five thousand dollar chain." I'm like, "Should have said that." And then he never saw that chain again. <laughs> then I went straight to the pond. <laughs> man, somebody cussed that chain before the dust settled. <laughs> Yep, true story. That's crazy. So tell me about how do you prepare for a show? So what do you do? Like some some artists, you know, they have a certain ritual that they do. How do you prepare to go on the stage? You have your little drink, you you meditate, what do you do to prepare? I definitely grab a beverage. Uh, I usually drink a Patron and Tonic lately. Uh, But I used to have a, a, a whole, you know, thing I used to do and I used to, shot down bullet points and, you know, line up my topics and, you know, organize the show and, and you know, this joke, that joke. It, and it depends, too, from headlining versus um, if I got, like, a set. So if somebody, if I'm on a show, one of those ensemble shows, and there's five of us, and, you know, like I was on that World Comedy Tour with uh, some more and D.L. Hughley and Bruce, you only have to take 20 minutes, so you got to be more concise. So I, I had definite, you know, topics I wanted to touch upon because, A, I knew what they talked about, so I didn't want to talk about the same thing, and B, I knew only had a certain amount of time. But now I'm headlining most of my gigs, and it's like comedy clubs, and I got an hour, hour, 20 minutes, and so I don't have to sit there and be so organized and structured. I will occasionally text myself about five or six topics from the day that I, I wanted to talk about, so right before I go on stage, I might glance at my phone and make sure I don't forget those topics, but, you know, now I kind of, you know, Jay-Z, and I don't really write jokes out anymore, I just kind of know what's funny to me, and I kind of figure it's going to be funny to people. My take on most topics is how I really got started. Uh, I wasn't planning on being a comedian, but around my job, you know, like I said, during that 48 hours Eddie Murphy era, they used to call me Eddie because, you know, my my response about certain topics would be based on, you know, what I see, you know. So they're like, man, you're funny. You should do do comedy or whatever. And I'm like, I ain't trying to be funny. You know, y'all laughing at my serious right now. So, um but as I, you know, honed into that, uh, I've become more 
you know, seasons are just going up and being, you know, able to kind of glide through what I have. Because I got, you know, 27 years in this business, so I can I have a, a wealth of material to pull from if I ever get stuck or don't know what joke I want to do next. That's amazing. Now, my question is, because I've seen, I love going to comedy shows, whether it's professionals or people that are just getting started. Like, how do you lead into like the next joke how do you know like to me it seems like someone that's a comedian they have to have like impeccable timing like even when I'm like okay me and KB are hosting the podcast like it's a timing thing so that we you know don't like talk over each other and and stuff like that how do you know the time when to do that next joke or maybe I shouldn't like maybe you have a joke that it's super funny, but you like, oh, this crowd is kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you do that? You know, it's trial and error and it comes with experience. But, uh, you know, my motto is I don't give a shit about these people's thoughts. This shit's funny. And I'm about to tell it how I tell it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I used to kind of really cater more to the audience. Uh, like, for instance, you know, you do a funny bone in, um, you know, Columbus, Ohio. You would think, you know, you've been on Comedy View, you've been on Death Jam, you've been on Martin Lawrence, all black people will come, you're going to do your black jokes and talk about, you know, growing up in the neighborhood and all your experiences. Then you look out there and there's a room full of Republicans. You know, I used to be like, you know, okay, mm-hmm. let me code switch. And, um, you know, instead of doing a Trump joke, I'll do it a little different. So it's not, you know, anti-Trump, it's just Trump is goofy, ha, ha, ha. Now it's like y'all came into my show, you know, Hopefully you did a little research on who you was coming to see. First of all, mm-hmm. hope you didn't think you was coming to see Damon Wayans. Second of all, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people now go online and they look at your YouTube clips before they come to a show so they know what your style is. Thirdly, yeah. I write jokes that are, are universally appealing in my opinion, and if you don't get the joke, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm not conveying a thought that's funny. It's just not your experience, and that's unfortunate for you. But if the majority of the room is getting it, then that's that's on you, you know. Yeah, um, that's all that matters, I, though. Yeah. Yeah, but if you t- if you keep it general and 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 you know relatable, people should be able to laugh at anything. Like even if you're not from the hood, I got a joke about the, about the time I shot myself. I mean, that's funny. I don't give a shit where you tell it. You know. <laughs> right? Who laughs? Wait, what? <laughs> The, you shot it. Wait a minute. He tried to slide yeah, stuff in on a skate right? and then keep skating right. like it's an ice rink. You shot. Wait. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, you right. can't go past that. You can't uh, go past back, that. You know I'm not going. Well, back it. when you know, like I said, I I, I came up in, in the city. You know, and I was in the streets before I uh, got my subway. That's how I got it. But um, you know, I had this OG tell me, you know, if you're gonna serve you the weed or whatever. You know, and I'm going to say we because we on the podcast. Um, you know, make sure you have your, your good cock so you don't have, they don't get the ups on you in case somebody's trying to rob. But I had on this, this sweater jacket and the damn hammer of the gun uh, snagged on the sweater and made the gun go off and shoot oh. me in the leg. Yeah, so I talk about that because it shot me right in my very upper thigh, inner thigh area, which is real close to the, you know, the possibilities. Um, right. But uh, fortunately for me, I curved to the left, so it missed. Um, and I tell people, you know, if I didn't curve to the left, it would have been two shots that night because I'd have, you know, shot myself. In my, if I'd have shot my dick off, I'd have shot myself in the head. It'd been over with. You know, anybody <laughs> trying to live with no dick? You know what I'm saying? Now his dick is dangling. No. 
I mean, what's your, who that is? That Double D? Look at Double D. What up, Double Hell D? Hell yeah, no. no. True story. Yeah, I'm about 18. <laughs> yeah. And the book's been on my list for some time. You've been doing your thing for so many years. You've been doing your thing for so many years. Uh, on the Tom Joyner Morning Show, I want to tell you congratulations, man. And you, I think you could retire as well. Tom Joyner recently retired. But you sat on, alongside of Tom Joyner for many years doing your segment, man. And uh, that's, I think, where I, I, I first took notice listening to Tom Joyner. And I'm like, man, who is this hilarious cat, uh, you know, joining him? So what was that experience like working with Tom all those years? Man, let me tell you, that was one of the highlights of the whole game, man. And I've done a lot of things that I'm proud of. I've been around the world. I, I toured 30 shows with the Kings of Comedy and touched some major stages. But one of my goals had always, well, one of my aspirations wasn't even a goal because I didn't think it was actually possible, uh, was mm-hmm. to be on a nationally syndicated radio show with Tom Joyner. Because, you know, coming up, Tom's show was the voice of black America. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like... Yep. If I could tap on it, get on Sean Tom's show, even if it was that little five minutes a week when I first started, then now I'm touching people all over the country and, and other countries too because Tom's show is a few of the Caribbean islands and everything. Yeah, at the height of his uh, listenership, he had about eight or nine million listeners. So that's like having Ooh, a sitcom, you know what I mean? So to get on that show and have people looking forward to my segment every week and then eventually filling in for J. Anthony Brown a lot when he started mm-hmm. having like, you know, disgruntled issues with, with Tom and health issues as well. Um, you know, to becoming, you know, the Friday, the funny chair, Damon Williams Fridays on the Tom Joyner Show was a, was a major success for me because I grew up listening to Tom. Tom's success mm-hmm. began in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Before he started he fly jocking back and forth, he started in Chicago on AM radio and then FM, then mm-hmm. Chicago and Dallas, and then nationally syndicated. So, you know, and, and Tom is a legend, man. He's an icon, and it's like nobody else or no other radio show will ever reach the heights of re- uh, relevance. Uh, you know what I'm saying? His show is very relevant um, mm-hmm. for not just entertainment purposes, but, you know, if, if you run for office, you go to Tom. If you have a problem with a corporation or discrimination, you go to Tom. If you want to get people to register to vote, you want to get people to go to the doctor, you want to get HBCUs out of debt. The HBCUs, you know, yeah, I was going to mention HBCUs. Yeah, so he gave to our that. university. Yes, you know, he gave to so many God. schools. Yes, he did. And mm-hmm. on top of that, the Tom Joyner Morning Show, from little day I can remember was the only platform that really used to push for HBCUs and put them on the map. Like Period. nobody was checking for HBCUs. Period. Man, and he put like bro light to it, and then he had a, a, a monthly situations where you know each he had a mm-hmm. school of the month where the alumni would be galvanized to come and help the school because they might have even been aware that schools have any type of financial issue. Uh, and so, you know, the people who've gone on to be corporate leaders and uh, doctors and scholars, they heard about it on time joining. They all got back together and donated checks and did sororities and fraternities and such. So, you know, the culture itself to be touched on that level, to be a part of anything that contributed to that, even though I'm not, you know, from academia, I do understand it's, it's important. And my son is, a, is an intellectual, you know, he was brought up and he's been, you know, through his degrees, and now he's a social activist and a community organizer, things of that nature. And those are the type of people that benefited from, you know, Tom Jordan Morningstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing it for so many years, man. So I, I definitely wanted to ask you about that and, and how that experience was. Um, and so also what you're doing uh, now at Riddles. Uh, tell us about that. I know you're doing a couple of nights there where you, you're bringing some local comics up. 
uh, and spotlighting them at Riddle's Comedy Club in Chicago. Well, it's not just locals, actually. Um, you know, I made it. See, Chicago does not have a black-owned comedy club, and Chicago doesn't have a place for uh, in the city or near the city limits where black people can go comfortably and enjoy themselves. I'm not saying that white people don't come as well, but the improvs and the zanies and clubs of that nature, they're not um, catered to our audience. And then there's a lot of comedians that are not A-list, but they are national names or they're you know, they're not going to get in the rotation. Or even if they do do the, the improv, which is in Schaumburg, which is like 40 miles from the south side of Chicago, right. no you know, people are not trying to go out there, for one. For two, um, you know, they're not using everybody. So they have a In fact, I've never even been booked out there, which is ridiculous. But it's to this point, really? I don't need to do it. Yeah, it's weird. No, so they, they, they don't, you know, um, embrace the B-list comics or the comics who have the same amount of fans that will show up if you allow mm-hmm. them to perform as, you know, especially some of the white comics who don't even have a fan base. You know, people like myself and Tony Roberts and uh, Rob Stapleton and, you know, Tyler Craig. Yeah, you got people that, you know, we had, see, Comic View was, was like the Tom Jordan Morning Show. It was a part of our culture and a part of our routine. It was on six nights a week. You know, and if mm-hmm. time somebody's mm-hmm. on a show that's on six nights a week, people got to remember that person, you know. And so they they didn't value that audienceship at first. But now, if you look around the country, all the clubs have predominantly black rosters when you look at their monthly lineup. It's 75% black because black people still support black comedians because they know us from that era. Whereas white mm-hmm. comedians had, did not have an engine that drove their popularity. They had Comedy Central and Premium Blend, shows like that, but they didn't run them. You know, they run them once and you never see it again. Comedy View was on six nights a week, you know what yep. I'm saying? So, and yep. then Death Jam was such an iconic um, moment in comedy history. Platform, because, yeah. Because, yeah, people would literally not go outside until Death Jam went out. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, and if they mm-hmm, did, mm-hmm. they were recorded. You know, so yeah. if you made it to Death Jam this Friday, by next Friday you could go all over the country and, and people would know you. Mm-hmm. So there's no vehicle and, and, like that. So now I think the only thing that's helping people, uh, comics, really get out there from a you know um, a standard broadcast television scenario is Wild and Out. You know, if you get on Wild and Out, you can make a name for yourself and people will know mm-hmm. you have a, a solid fan base, but there are no other shows. That is why I have created a show. Uh, which is called Laugh Tonight with Damon Williams. We've already shot it. It's going to be on a new streaming network called Urban Flicks. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, we're just waiting on the, the Urban Flicks to launch. And it's not just black comedians. It's 24 multicultural comedians, not only from the U.S., but we have people as far away as Russia and, um, you know, other nationalities, uh, people from Africa, everything. So it's uh, it's eight episodes we filmed. We're going to do 12 all together. And that network is... Um, Supposedly or allegedly being launched soon, so I have more to talk about. Now I'll hit you back to come okay. on and brief you. Okay, about that the was launch. my follow up to say what network yes, I missed it, but definitely when you uh, get that that tad bit, uh, share it with us. I, I, we definitely follow you on Instagram, so if we don't even catch it, if we see it, we want to spotlight that man, Damon, because me being from Chicago, growing up, uh, and I actually said the Tom Joyner Morning Show. It was actually Jenny Jones, man. When I first saw you, and, I, and I'm, and again, that's that's what you saw like crossover. Like you didn't see comics then. And again, I don't. I, I want to ask you a question, and but I want to be respected. But I, I want to ask, why do you think that you don't get the spotlight? 
that uh, and I know this is probably a cliche answer. You probably answered over and over, but I've always wanted to know. I never had a chance to speak with you. There was a moment where, uh, and I'll share this real quick story. I hit Damon Williams up years ago. Um, I think when Twitter first launched, man, and he and I was following each other. He'll say things back, and he'll you know give love. You know, and I don't even know if he knew who I was per se or from Chicago. But the brother had his show in, in uh, Chicago at, at the Airy Crown. And uh, I tweeted and said, hey, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. And Damon brought me backstage, man, gave me love. I don't know if you remember this, Damon. And I met some more uh, right before she left her dressing room. And I'll post a picture for those our listeners. And I'll shoot you the picture, Damon, if you can even remember. No. But I wanted, no. to, I wanted to bring that in because I've been a longtime fan and following up your work. But I had that moment and opportunity to meet you. And, again, I don't know if that's something you do for everybody, but if you, if you don't, I'll tell you, you, you look out for you, one of those good brothers. But I've seen you in, you know, on television in, on Jenny Jones, and I was like, my mom was watching Jenny Jones. I'm like, who is this black guy on Jenny Jones? Because her guest was all sorts of nationalities, but this consistent black face wasn't really there present on TV. So I know it's been a while, but what was that experience like with Jenny Jones? Because it definitely – stuck a staple in my head to say if he's on TV and if he's doing it and, and being funny, then that's something inspiring. I don't, I didn't inspire or wanted to be a comedian, but to say that this is a black guy on television, what was that experience like for you at the Jenny Jones? Well, I, could t- I could tell you about that. And I can also um, allude to the question that you started to ask. Okay. About, yeah, I gave you, know, you a jam pack information. Yeah. My bad. No, I, I, I took it all in though. So we'll start with, um, the Jenny Jones show. Jenny Jones, um, as you know, she had a controversial uh, situation happen when uh, they were doing these surprise crushes. And the year before I got on their show, there was a guy that had a crush, and it was from a trailer park, and it was a guy that had a crush on the guy. So they, they tricked the guy onto the show, and he got there, and it was a gay guy that came out and said he had a crush on him. And the dude went back to the trailer park and shot him to death. So that became, Jenny was so traumatized by that that she didn't want to do anything that was not upbeat or fun or funny. So she started bringing stand-ups and one. Um, and so I was only supposed to come on to do a five-minute stand-up set, but the show ran long. And so they told me, you got two, maybe two and a half minutes. Uh, we have to cut your set. So instead of doing my set, I talked about the show that day. And so I made jokes about everything that took place on the show. And Jenny came backstage because she used to do stand-up. She was on Star Search as a comedian. She came back and she said, wow, that was impressive. You know, that was not, that was untested material. And you did it on live TV. You know, that was amazing. You think you could do it again? I'm like, I can do it anytime. That's what I do. You know, I'm like, I'm, I improvise. But she said, okay, we will we'll talk to you. And so they started having me come back in for different little reasons. And then they just started giving me, like, you know, leeway to create scenarios and create characters and things of that nature. So that's how I got that show. Um, then they, they got back and little Springer came out and they started fighting a lot on Springer and Springer took the numbers and Jenny just couldn't compete with that, that ratchet at the time. So she just sat down. Uh, Springer mm-hmm. put a lot of people in. Y'all remember Springer show was off the chain. Yeah, Jerry Springer. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, they was fighting, you know, them fights. Was, Jerry, you know, everybody's watching that. So it kind of <laughs> overshadowed her because she didn't want to have that type of show because of what happened in season before. So, secondly, during that era, um, young in my career, I started doing colleges and universities. And, you know, colleges and universities might not make you famous, but they will make you money. So I chose to do that route because, you know, it was less work as opposed to trying to break into the white clubs and be an opener and do five nights, you know, Thursday through Sunday and open it for some corny dude to play a banjo or some shit. Um, 
I did the colleges. Now, those college students used to watch Comedy View, so that was my base. So I was very popular on that circuit. I was making a lot of money on that circuit. I was also able to control my schedule a little better and be home for my son. And so I didn't go to Hollywood, and I didn't need to go to Hollywood because I was making enough money. Mm -hmm. Not only did I perform on college shows, I learned how to promote and book college shows. So, you know, you go to the – and I can tell anybody out there listening – might not work now for comedy unless you're booking, you know, like this, this wild and out type squads. They want these kids still listening or relate to. But you can go to any school and find the Black Student Union, um, the African American Studies, the Black History uh, Board, and they have budgets for entertainment. And, and every yep. February and October, they spend that money on homecoming and uh, Black History Month. And, and and if they don't spend the money, they their budget gets reduced the following year. So sometimes they throwing money because they got to get rid of it so they can get it again next year. So I would put together the show and bring three or four of the comedians. We might have a fifteen dollars $20,000 budget. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. doing that versus going to L.A. and hoping to get discovered and laying on somebody's couch and, you know, having somebody try to put their finger in my booty and all that old shit, I wasn't going out there for that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, that's, you know, the game is cold. Yeah, no, I understand. And I've noticed that you about Chicagoans. I think one of the things, uh, shout out to Selena Johnson, another Chicagoan, and, you know, working closely with her, we will, we will always kind of have that mentality like, I'm staying true, or she would want to, you know, say, hey, I'm staying true to who I am. And I noticed that about us Chicagoans, like, no matter where we go, we always got to remind people, hey, I'm from Chicago. A lot of people ask Man, you like, got that, that Chicago thing, edge. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and Selena, she's a very. Yeah, she's a very good example of what she just said because her voice was, was ahead of her time, and she was too young to have that powerful, soulful voice. And now that yes. she's matured into woman, womanhood and her fans are of age to hear that type. I just did a show with her here in Chicago at the City Winery, and she kind of expressed oh, yeah, that, yeah, you know, this voice. It's like this yeah, voice, man, I, I had this yeah. voice since eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, I mean, and it's just choices. You know, I, of course, who wouldn't want to say, you know, instead I would have rather gone to uh, L.A. And, and met Jackie Chan and did the three Rush Hour movies and made $20 million a movie. But who's to say who I would be at this point or what I would have to sacrifice or whatever. But, you know, and I'm still in it and I'm still relevant. So I'm still in the game. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, I'm sure you were able to avoid a lot of the politics that come with going to LA and being in movies and stuff like that and you were able to you know keep your character keep who you are and not have to kind of bend and bow to other people's agenda I mean I didn't compromise my my dignity in any sort of way or fashion I Mm -hmm. I control my own destiny and and that's cool you know but that shit could keep you in a humble state Uh, but sometimes the trade-off is not worth it I mean fame comes with a price there's a really major price for fame if you look at uh, situations with people like Martin Lawrence for instance Martin um you know, he rose so quickly. Like, Martin had been in the game, you know, behind the scenes he had done. People don't realize he's come all the way back to them. They'll show what's happening now and Star Search and stuff like that. But So he put in the work. But once he hit, he hit so big and so hot and so fast. And then you look up and there's stories about him running down the street in a sweatsuit, something they're trying to kill, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's stories like that. You, you see Dave Chappelle, he's like, man, these people are crazy. i got to get out the country. So... You know, to keep your sanity and, and still be relevant. So I'm not saying that I'm not going to try to be in films and television. I'm doing films. I'm doing independent films at this point. Uh, there's a movie that we're having a screening next week called White People Money. Uh, it has a, a, a nice uh, 
nice cast with Drew Sador and Bart Fitzpatrick. Bart is from The Shy. He was also in 21 Bridges. Um, and you'll recognize the face when you see it. And there are a lot of independent filmmakers. There's another film that I have to lead in, which you mentioned in the bio of Heaven on Seven, which is still being edited. Uh, so, you know, I want to do more of that, but acting was not my pursuit. Auditioning was not my favorite thing, so that was a real hindrance. So now that my name kind of carries a, a little bit of weight, you know, a little bit of legacy behind it, it's, it's easier for me to say, you know, uh, or maybe get a call from a director or a casting person who might just say, I fit a role, versus me having to go in and say, hey, I'm David Williams, I'd like to be in your movie, blah, blah, blah. And then there's my own projects. So once I've done my show, once this show hits, it's going to turn a lot of heads and I will be more relevant to the industry. And, um, you know, we shot it in Burbank in L.A. and, you know, it was a whole Los Angeles crew and uh, people like Bentley Evans, who was uh, one of the creators of Martin, He's a friend of mine now. He came to two or three of the episodes, so I'm on his radar for stuff like that. Miguel Nunez and other people, you know, they showed up because the buzz is getting out. Then I just hosted a show at the Forum in L.A. with uh, Tyrese and Vaughn and Genuine and Drew Hill. So that's that's touching that base. So from that, I'm going to definitely be spending more time on the West Coast. i got a series of shows uh, coming up at this theater where we did the show. So this is the year, you know, for me to emerge from – from the uh, you know the abyss and the uh, the quiet of what I've been doing, but I've been crisscrossing this country, mm-hmm. establishing my fan base steadily in the meantime, so nonstop. And then you know the college, like I said, the college market was '96 through like 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. But you got to think about it; those people were like in their late teens, early twenties, fifteen, twenty years ago. So now they are mm-hmm. modern consumers. So they remember yeah. stuff like, you know, which stuff you mentioned, the Jimmy Jones and the Every Crown shows and things of that nature. So now when I go to these places, they show up in, in, in groups and mass at these clubs, and they all got stories about, man, I used to get in trouble staying and watching you or staying <laughs> in my school for homecoming in 2003, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. And they're grown, man. I'm talking about big, bearded-ass people, you know. So I think the longevity uh, will, you know, and that could take place based on that. And everybody's getting old, but your ass, Damon, is steady looking young. I, I think not even aging too. So what's the formula, man? Because you're not aging. Uh, you're still <laughs> right. looking the same, just like you was on Jenny Jones. So before man, we let you go, um, man, any formula, any tips, man? I, I mean, yeah, get tall. But I do want to know, man. I want to shout out my brother when he's looking good. I'm like, this dude not aging at all. What's the formula, man? I, 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 I put my lotion on upward and outward. It, it, it reduces wrinkles. Upward <laughs> and outward. I, I promise you, I read that. Man, when I was about 18, 19, I've been using Nivea Extra Enriched Lotion and Caress Soap all my life, and those are my two things of my regiment. And I brush, I put my lotion on up and out. It it, it, it deters wrinkles. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> you gonna have now, everybody wrinkled. Yeah, it might be too late, you know, if you already. But you start when you're about twenty. Drink a little orange juice yeah. every day and stroke your lotion up and out. You'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's real, though. I'm like, dude, it's not aging at all, man. And so consistency in the game, Damon Williams, you're doing it, man, and consistency in aging, man. So keep loving and laughing. Again, we bring people on this platform who uh, are finessing the game. Uh, and, again, I want to also mention, as I am speaking up, the audio. So I want to apologize for the audio to our listeners as well uh, for that in the beginning of this episode. But we really hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that you guys got that's listening um, – some information about Damon Williams. If you don't know who he is, man, I don't know where you've been at under a rock, 
and hopefully we maybe introduce uh, a lot of our listeners to uh, comedian Damon Williams, man. Because I'll tell you, if you talk to any comedian in the game that's living, they know this brother. So he ain't just because you don't see him on the big platforms or what have you, uh, because he's there, but consistently there. I mean, that's one of those things where we're saying quality is all that matters, man. He got a consistent following. I'm a forever fan, Damon Williams. I thank you so much, man. For taking your time, man. To my pleasure, on Media Podcast, man. Straight yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna get some new listeners and new fans out there. Thank y'all, and shoot, shout them out my social media, and we good. Definitely. If you can let us know, Damon, how we can keep up on you and follow everything you got going, if you can let us know how they can do that. Actually, it's a one-stop spot. DamonWilliamsComedy.com uh, is a recently launched website and has all my social media on there. Uh, IG is Damon Williams Comedy as well. So just look up Damon Williams, not Wayne's Comedy, and you'll be all right. He <laughs> <laughs> said so you'll be all right. All right, my shout out <laughs> brother, Damon Williams, man. Thank you again, bro, for joining us for that studio podcast. Yes, all yes. Good, bro. Thank Thanks you for so much. Me. Thank you, sir. All right. Later. All right, we out of here. And just as always, man, each and every episode, we shout out our HBCU. We're going to jump into our HBCU of the week real quick. Treat, we'll be back with our HBCU. Historically black colleges and universities commonly called HBCUs are defined by the Higher Education Act of 1965 as any historically black college or university that was established prior to 1964 whose principle was and is the education of black Americans and that is accredited by a nationally recognized accrediting agency or association determined by the Secretary of Education. It's now time for the Finesse Media Podcast, HBCU of the Week. So today's HBCU of the Week is Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, also known as FAMU. It is a public historically black university in Tallahassee, Florida. Founded in 1887, it is located on the highest geographic hill in Tallahassee. It is the fifth largest historically black university in the United States by enrollment and the only public historically black university in Florida. It is a member institution of the State University System of Florida, as well as one of the largest um, land grant universities and is accredited to award bachelorette, master's, and doctoral degrees by the Commission on Colleges of the Southern Association Colleges and Schools. The 2020 edition of the U.S. News and World Report College Rankings placed the university in Tier 1 among national universities. 254th uh, as far as in Tier 1, and 7th among all HBCUs and 2nd among all public HBCUs. The university is classified as an R2 doctoral research university under Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education, which denotes higher research activities. For 2017, the National Science Foundation ranked Florida A&M University 216th nationally and second among HBCU for total research and development expenditures. Ladies and gentlemen, today's HBCU of the week Bam you. Bam you, man. Shout out to Bam you. They always doing their thing, man. There's so many people that come from Bam you. Shout out to Will Packer, who's doing movies and holding it down. There's one quick Rattler uh, alumni I can recant, man. So, Treese, man, what a good episode. Excellent episode. Had an excellent guest. <laughs> 
I enjoyed it, enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Damon Williams is, is good, man. And as I mentioned real quick, uh, like I said, he's a good brother, always looking out, holding it down for Chicago. Very humble dude, man. So shout out to Damon Williams, man. Come on anytime and check him out on all platforms. Therese, man, it's been a good episode, man. I think it's time to roll. All right. Well, shoot, we going to keep it official <laughs> like a referee with a whistle. And check we out the next y'all. episode. We'll, catch it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next episode on Finesse Media Podcast Season 2. We out. Thank you for listening to another episode of Finesse Media Podcast. Make sure that you hit the follow or subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are released. Also, make sure that you are following us on all of our social media pages. Instagram, we are at Finesse Media. Twitter, check us out at underscore Finesse Media. And on Facebook, Finesse Media, LLC. See you next week with something brand new.